Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. On uh, our topic today, electrocuting the shit out of cancer. One of the cooler uh, topics, I think. Yeah. Um, our guest today is almost double doctor, Theo Roth. Jesus. Uh, he's an MD slash PhD student candidate at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, he's worked at the National Institutes of Health and Stanford. And let me tell you, He's figured out some pretty cool shit, Brian. Yes, he has. Brian. Yes. Ready? Pop uh, quiz. Okay, great. <laughs> if I said, Brian, how are you going to electrocute cancer? Go. I would take a person with cancer. Uh-huh. And there's got to be some, like, not an electric chair, obviously, but some, nope, this is going so some bad. sort of nice, <laughs> gentle way to electrocute their, their body. And maybe somehow it's getting in and only directly targeting the cancer. I'm just a guy. Sweet I Jesus. don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, hey, so don't put me in charge of that. With how shitty you feel right now, would you would mm-hmm. you do that to yourself if it said you'd feel better? Yeah. That Wait, bad? what I just described? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That sounds bad. <laughs> sounds like wow. How did it, that even when you like here? accidentally touch like a you know a bad cord or whatever and you get that like millisecond of a shock it's so awful mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to feel that mm-hmm. my kids like to you know you got to put the little things on the uh on the electrical outlets yeah, to yeah. block little them plastic yeah first of all they figure out to take them off so quick uh, little macgyvers and then one of them will just keep eye contact with me oh making sure God. i see him reaching up <laughs> With an increasing <laughs> grin on his face as he looks to stick his finger in, like he's like, "You're gonna watch me die." Uh, I love that. Like in their mind, it's like he, they don't realize that there's actual uh, harm that could happen. They just oh, know no. that you don't want them to do it. Uh-huh. So it's like this: "Hey, look at yeah, 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 yeah." I mean, uh, they have no context. For, I mean, look, they literally don't know what time is. Yeah, or, yeah right. or they don't know until like a month that they have hands and feet. They keep oh seeing God. hands and feet and being terrified because <laughs> they don't know it's theirs. So, like the context for like self harm. Make nothing. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Yep. Doesn't exist. Like, don't jump off this. They can look down and be like, eh, probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway. Maybe I should Electrocution, like, way the fuck beyond their scope oh, it's of so comprehension. Bad. Doesn't I, excuse being a dick about it, though. I used to have one of these uh, fake lighters. and uh, <laughs> Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And instead of lighting... Was like, this last year? No, it was... I, I bought it from a man selling it on the street when we took our eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C., <laughs> Fake Oakleys and uh, these these lighters cool. that instead of it creating fire when you press the button, it just like somehow like buzzed you. It was the best. I really I really got some people. Oh God, Jesus! Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Teddy's here with us again today. Hey, pal. Sweet Teddy. Hi. Can he was guys, dreaming during. Can you the guys recording. hear that tail hitting the ground? Hey, Ted. Oh, I hope that comes through. He's yeah. just so happy. He's the best. He moved like a foot and a half for some reason yeah. in the middle of the recording. Unclear why. Just to do the same thing. Just lay. Just in a different spot. He's so cute. Last note. Uh, it is uh, talking about cancer today. It's going to yeah, get kind of wonky. It's super fun, though. It is Children's Cancer Awareness Month now in September. We're not specifically just talking about children's cancer, but we're talking about all of it. But um I should note that children's cancer is receives 5% of federal cancer research funding. 5%. Doesn't um, seem like which enough. is not great. So contribute to places like Sloan Kettering and Alex's Lemonade Stand to help uh, fund research and treatment and travel for those folks. Fuck cancer in the face. <laughs> and that's it. Let's go talk to Theo. Let's go talk to Theo. 
Our guest today is Theo Roth, and together we're going to talk about electrocuting the shit out of cancer. Uh, Theo, <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> for sure. Very happy to have you here. Um, so a great place to start would just be, uh, tell us uh, who you are and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So uh, maybe not the type of person that's always on podcasts, but I'm actually a student. Um call it MD-PhD student, so I'm training to get uh, a medical degree, and well, uh, but currently, though, I'm, I am I work in a, a lab with a, a physician named Dr. Alexander Marson. You couldn't settle for just one degree? You got to go for, <laughs> got to go for two once, pal? Well, you know, that's a, that's a discussion that gets, it's very, very technical and complicated very quickly, um, which is exactly the kind of stuff that people who do MD-PhD degrees like, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Good. Good news is you're the right person for it. Uh, cool. Okay. So you were saying you were working a lab with who? Who's this uh, chump? Yeah. Marson. Yeah. So uh, I, I I work with a a person who already has their their degrees uh, after their name. Uh, his name's Alex Marson. <laughs> He's the 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 guy in, who's the head of the lab. And um, so I, you know, um, together we come up with uh, ideas about experiments, and then um, you know I, I I go in and my day job is to go do those experiments. Where, where in the world are you guys? Yeah, we were at the University of California, San Francisco. Um, hey. So beautiful view out over the Pacific Ocean, um, which we tend not to look at very often because it's covered in fog. No, uh, well, we know what you're talking there. about. That's not like our view. Uh, <laughs> beautiful Ventura Boulevard. Awesome, man. How long have you been there? So I've been, I'm starting my fifth year at um, at. UCSF. Um, been working in the lab though for the last two years or so. Okay. And how much more? How much more you got left before you get all the fancy letters? Yeah, it's always a, a question that you know parents and especially are the ones uh, asking. But um, <laughs> probably probably one year before I finish uh, up my work in the lab, and then two more after that to finish um, the medical degree. No problem. You're almost there. Yeah. <laughs> After a while, it, it's all blends into the same. Three more easy years. Right. And then all your, your life is gone. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Um, yeah. I guess we don't we don't have a ton of students, uh, but we I believe we have had students before. And it is uh, the conversations are just as uh, intriguing and mind blowing as with anybody. So very happy uh, to have you. And clearly you're working on something eh, pretty important. So what we're going to do today is uh, uh, is ask you some questions, uh, and you know the the goal here is to um, by the end of this make sure that uh, our listeners have some solid uh, ideas on what they can actually do, physical action steps mm -hmm. uh, to to help support you and everybody uh, that's that's doing what you're doing and fighting what you're fighting for. So um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna do that if that sounds okay. Yeah, sounds great to me. Yeah, and sometimes those specific actions get down to sweet Jesus, do this thing to save the planet, and uh, <laughs> it's all melting. Help, everything is on fire. And sometimes uh, it's it's like this, which is uh, you know support basic science and funding of labs and and things like that, yeah. so they can know where their dollars are going. All right, Theo, we start with one pretty important question, uh, something to set the tone of the conversation. Uh, instead of saying, "Tell us the remainder of your life story." Uh, we like to ask Theo, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> I don't know if me myself is, is is the key factor here. Well, that's the point of the question, but go on. 
I'll, uh, I'll, I'll answer for maybe, maybe, you know, students in general. Um, it's that, you know, most of the, the work that's done to, you know, advance our, our knowledge, our understanding, um, is being done by, uh, by students. And, um, and that's something that's very accessible for, for lots of people. It's, it's harder to see, you know, how to become the, the person who cured cancer. It's a, it's easier to see how to become a student at the the university that's in your city or in your state. It's important for you know, especially people who are thinking about going into science to realize that there's you know world changing work happening probably just down the street, and that you know it's not it's it's a lot easier to become a student and to, you know get your hands dirty doing that work than it is to figure out how to become you know you know a a world famous um, physician or inventor or something. So right. That's fair. <laughs> I love that. That's all. Everybody always, it's, you know, you get too focused on that. Like you said, like the big thing, cure cancer, but really there's just, it's just a bunch of people doing the hard work on the ground. That's how it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. So, uh, like I said, we're going to set up a little context for today's question. Uh, I guess it's more of a topic, uh, electrocuting the shit out of cancer. Um, we're going to define that in a little bit. Um, I got some notes here to get everyone us, uh, our esteemed guest, uh, with all the letters coming, um, our listeners at home, mostly Brian on the same page, uh, today might get a little wonky, which is fun. Uh, but it is important. Everybody knows what the hell we're talking about. Uh, Theo, please jump in, correct us, uh, hang up, run away, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I should preface this by saying, if anyone wants to take a deeper dive on sort of the history of cancer and cancer treatment, I loved, uh, the emperor of all maladies. Did you happen to read that, Theo? Yeah, I, I can certainly say that as you know, somebody who does uh, you know related to cancer research, that um, that book is is probably the best introduction to the field that you can go. And, and honestly, you know, even um, um, graduate students or professors, I think probably start there rather than digging into uh, primary uh, published articles and literature. Oh, oh that's, wow. That's really cool. It, it's it's really impressive. Siddhartha's uh, just such a smart human being. He also wrote uh, The Gene, which I, I love, The History of Genetics. And on, a, on a personal note, can, cancer is a, a a big one for me. My best friend died of cancer about 10 years ago. And uh, uh, sorry, I actually, uh, well, you know, it, it happens. Uh, he wasn't a smoker or anything like that, um, but esophageal cancer got to him. Um, and I, I, I Cracked that book about 10 times before I could actually get through it, uh, which is something I also talked to my therapist about. But when I did, it was just stupendously enlightening and thought-provoking and, um, and, and really helps you understand, again, what folks like you are working on, how complicated cancer is, but how much progress we've made. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly also uh, you know, is a big uh, indicator of how important it is to have, uh, you know, exceptional science writing and science journalism, because, you know, a, a book like that can synthesize 50 years of science into something that the, the popular or the, the general public can understand. You know, that's a huge win for science in general. Yeah, it makes a difference. And, and you know, I think of that when uh, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Car- uh, Carlo Rovelli. Uh, Ravelli uh, wrote seven brief lessons on phys- physics and has got a new book about time and is just such an, I mean, such a smart human. It, it's ridiculous, but just a stunning writer and, and will just help you. I mean, again, you might not be like, shit, I should be a scientist, but it'll make you go, right. wow, this is incredible. And thank God someone was able to really dial this 
down for me. It's like that incredible college professor you have who's not just smart, but is actually able to explain it and transfer things to his students. Yeah, pretty important part of uh, education. Sure. Getting people to actually be able to get it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, while we're getting into this, guys, since I can ask any question uh, that I want, mm-hmm. says Quinn. Yeah. Why don't, <laughs> any, uh, question is, any question is putting it out there a little bit, but go ahead. Um, what, just what is cancer exactly? All right, you know what, Theo, why don't you go ahead and give us the two-sentence description <laughs> on what cancer is? Because I feel like a lot of time, I mean, it's it's not lazy. It's it's the easy way of doing things, but you hear people say, like, let's cure cancer. Uh, yeah. Give yes. us the two-sentence story on what cancer, what is happening inside the body and mm-hmm. and how many variations on cancer there really are. Yeah, yeah. So I, I the, the way that, you know, always made sense or makes, makes sense to me now and the way I think about it is that, you know, we all we all start off as one cell. You know, the the fertilized zygote of your mom's egg and your dad's sperm. Um, that one cell divides a lot and it becomes, you know, this, you know, uh, you know, hundred and whatever pound human being that you are, <laughs> um, which is made up of, you know, the number bounces around depending on who did the last estimate, but maybe 30 trillion cells. Jesus. So one cell becomes 30 trillion. Um, and it's got to do that by dividing and, uh, you know, and so cell division is inherent to, uh, you know, the process of life, uh, in general, um, that process though, uh, uh, has to stop at a certain extent at, at a certain point, it, it no longer makes sense for us to grow bigger. We want to invest more energy, more of our, uh, uh our time and, you know, this is the trade-off that was made evolutionarily in um, in uh, you know our, our deep history. That it it makes more sense to stop growing and start investing in reproducing um, to make another copy of yourself by you know combining with another person. So yeah. you know, it's still you know shocking to me after studying science for tennis years that that this all works but um <laughs> the it just comes down to that that you know we we grow by cell division we replicate or we we, we you know the species propagates by cell division it has to stop at a certain point and those that ability to stop is, is hard-coded into our genome there are many pathways uh many many mechanisms by which uh, your body tells the cells like, okay, we've finished growing. We don't need to divide anymore. As an individual cell, though, we need to remember that, you know, each of our cells doesn't necessarily know that it's a part of a human. And like my goal is to, you know, survive, to go have a have a good weekend and then maybe reproduce someday. It's to, <laughs> to the, the cell just knows that it needs to divide to grow like any living organism. Um, so these, it's these, these inhibitory pathways that really, that prevent, you know, everything, all of those 30 trillion cells from all going their own individual way. And that's what you got to prevent. The, the issue with cancer is that, like I said, you have those trillions of cells and if just one of them, it figures out a way to get around those, those roadblocks that the body throws up to prevent division that's enough to lead to a cancer that can eventually, you know, kill the the entire organism, take all the other trillion cells with it. Really? Just one out of 30 trillion. So, uh, I mean, it's just that's one wild. at the start. Yeah. It ends up being a lot more, right. but, um, right, yeah. right. so 
Sneaky bastard. Yeah, that, 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 that's part of the problem, right? Is that there's so many different types of cells in your body. And then mm-hmm. some of them, like immune cells, they have to keep dividing um, in order to um, you know, do their normal function. Other cell types, like mm-hmm. the lining of your gut is dividing constantly your entire life. And that's necessary for, you know, a healthy metabolism. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but you know, sometimes it goes awry. And it can go awry in a lot of different ways because there are that so many different cells that it could happen. Um, and that's what, and that's where you get to the, the, the stage where, you know, the, the scientists, I guess, will say that, you know, Cancer isn't one disease; it's a thousand. It's a million different diseases, right. which mean which right. makes it a little bit harder to cure than saying finding the 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 cure for a one specific bacteria. Right, right. I, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and you know, I guess you know, we can get to sort of the more recent uh, accomplishments and 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 discoveries. But you know, we know, we know. Like, I think the first the first sort of uh, not cave drawings, but evidence of of cancer goes back uh, to Egypt. But uh, you know, four or five thousand years ago. But obviously, uh, Homo sapiens has been kicking around for a few hundred thousand years, and variations on the species go back uh, way further than that. Like cancer isn't new. Yeah, so, they, it must be. Cells were dividing. Shit has been going right. wrong for a long time. What we've done is we've brought on a, a shitload of new, uh, you know, factors mm-hmm. uh, to influence that from smoking and air pollution, hormones, yes. fucking bacon. <laughs> alcohol uh you know we've we've basically learned and i feel like every day we discover whether it's uh it's it's diet or or genetics or something is everything is a trade-off right microscopes turned out to be super helpful for really starting to look at how these things were dividing and and what happened instead just ripping tumors out of the body and saying what's that (laughs) um but uh you know I, i guess when we talk about the history of treatment again getting towards where you where you are now is uh it was great like we like to cut out tumors a lot of time it came back. Uh, a lot of times it came back. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't really understand why or how. But also hygiene was a total fucking nightmare. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, if anyone is interested in following up there, I recommend The Nick with Clive Owen. That show? Uh, yeah, that show, uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, be be so thankful for like the, hey, wash your hands. Like uh, you you will never appreciate <laughs> right, Purell right. more than after you watch that show. Uh, anesthesia really, really made the whole thing a lot better. Oh, we're not biting on yep, sticks yep. anymore. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, but the, time- in the you know the history of science, the the innovations that have cured the most people are often the by far the simplest. You know, hygiene like that, but also like you know a surprising one is one of the you know the interventions that cured the most, uh, uh, saved the most lives in the 20th century was oral re-dri- rehydration therapy, which was giving people who had diarrhea water that had salt and sugar in it. That right. you know, that cured more lives than probably most antibiotics what? did. So wow, what what when was that happening? Uh, in the uh, middle of the 20th century, it started to be uh, realized that you could you know uh, children who were dying of like diarrheal diseases right. could be cured with this uh, with just uh, with you know, salt water. Doesn't necessarily taste good, but you know, it saves your life. Right. And now I'm a dad and I wow. can pop down to CVS and buy a bucket of Pedialyte. Right. Yeah, right. And exactly. everybody jokes it's great for hangovers, but it's like 50 fucking years ago. Like wow. everyone was like, well, water is going to do it, you know? And 50 years before that, it was like, well, sure, we can drink dirty water. We don't, why would we boil it? You know, it's <sighs> crazy, like these super simple things that have made enormous strides. But we have made big strides, right? Exploratory surgery, which again, 
understandable, but thank God we've moved away from it, have given way to CT scans and MRIs and, and PT scans, which are also slightly less invasive. You know, we've gone from more recently like radical mastectomies to a much more nuanced and complicated approach to breast cancer surgery from the default brutality of chemotherapy, which chemotherapy, I've always felt like we're going to look back on in 20, 25 years and say, thank God we had that. But at the same time, can you believe that that was our best option for so long? Because it is just so incredibly brutal, um, the nuclear option. To the promise of uh, immunotherapy and hormone therapy and, and hypertargeting and lasers. And now we're using ultrasound to guide operations, you know, uh, instead of some, uh, again, like exploratory surgery, which is like some fucking medical student apple bobbing around <laughs> in your abdomen, right? Hey, you don't um, want that. <laughs> right. No, n- not fun. But so the question is what impact now going forward can things like CRISPR have on cancer treatments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what is CRISPR? CRISPR. Yeah, does everybody know what CRISPR is? Yeah. Like I have You're a, asking for everybody I else? Have, I have a general understanding. Uh, I, you know Seems what? like magic. Well, I'm going to give my incredibly simplistic answer, and then we're going to let Theo spend the next hour talking about it. Got but it. it's 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 gene editing with, with uh, you know, very tiny scissors. You know, <laughs> we can grow better. Uh, theoretically, we can grow better rice with it. We can cut out disease. It's, it's already very early. Um, but um, some people... Uh, who might be on this podcast or uh, might be putting it to use. So all that said, let's talk about electrocuting the shit out of cancer. Theo, what have you done? Yeah, what is that? What is going on here? Yeah, so uh, I think our our work is kind of combining two different uh, uh, recent trends in potential cancer treatments. You highlighted one, gene editing, and I'll, I'll talk about that one second. Um, but the mm-hmm. other one is uh, this, this trend called immunotherapy, um, this uh-huh. new area uh, of cancer therapy. Although you can go back and, you know, if you search through literature and stuff, you can find, you know, people who are doing something vaguely similar, you know, 100 years ago, as you often can. But it's, oh, it's really? uh, a couple of interesting stories of people who would like, uh, you know, inject a tumor with a bacteria. Um, and turned out like, you know, one in 10 times, why not? You know, well, yeah, at that, at that time, you know, it wasn't exactly a long, uh, life expectancy after just about any type of cancer. Um, sure. so, but, um, but the, but the, the modern understanding of it has really taken off in the last, um, scientifically the last 20 years or so, and then therapeutically the last five to 10 years. And this is a, like a, this is a field based on the fact that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that, that. You know, it only takes one cell out of those trillions of cells that make up our our body to become a cancer that could eventually, you know, uh, kill kill you, kill the organism. That's not to say, though, that that the 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 only time cells you know have that cancerous transformation is when we you know in in the medical setting detect a cancer occurring. It's actually much more frequently than that, and it turns. But your body itself has ways of of fighting off and and, preve- and killing those very small tumors before you ever even notice that you had it. This is just happening all the time, and everybody. The the how often it happens that's the matter for uh, debate. It certainly happens much more okay. often than you know the reported prevalence of pancreatic cancer or prostate right. cancer right. or breast cancer things right. like this. 
And huh. one of the main ways that we think that these, you know, these very small cancers are eliminated before they become a problem is that the immune system, your, you know, that that big system of cells that is constantly floating around the body, pr- protecting mm-hmm. you from viruses and bacteria and making sure that, you know, when you fall down and you get a cut that your arm doesn't get inflamed and infected and you, you know, and you have to lose a limb, um, which, you know, before the uh, advent of height of of more careful hygiene, that was, you know, a very uh, unfortunate but expected outcome. Yeah. Ugh. Right. And again, that's kind of what I meant about the immunotherapy is the same thing. Like if you go back and look like at the difference between World War One and World War Two, and, and penicillin and, and, and field surgery, you know, that was a way to cut out the infection is to just lose the fucking yeah, leg. And bye-bye. again, thank God we knew to do that. But also like, holy shit, that was the best option. Yeah, yeah. And so in immunotherapy, I'm glad, glad you mentioned like penicillin, immunotherapy for cancer brings up kind of a, uh, the challenge of using similar approaches like, you know, developing an antibiotic in cancer. And the, the reasoning is that a, a, when you have a bacterial infection, bacteria are very evolutionarily distant from, from humans. They have a lot of uh, biochemistry and metabolism that is different than the way our cells work. We we yeah uh, we we've talked about yeah. uh, back gotten into bacteria in here and how they've definitely got the upper hand. Yeah, um, but the, the 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 key weakness there though is that it's different. It's different mm-hmm. from the way our cells work, which means that we can find little chemicals and we call them antibiotics um, mm-hmm. that mess with the bacteria but don't mess with ourselves. And so and that that's why back antibiotics can just be pop one pill and then. It's done. It's gone. Uh, and it doesn't have any bad side effects. Whereas cancer chemotherapies are so horrendous, so awful. The side effects are horrible because you're trying to kill a cell that looks very similar to the cells in the rest of your body. That are right. fine. Yeah, yeah. that are pretty fine. high degree of difficulty. Yeah. And there's no. Is it crazy for someone like you to hear when people uh, don't when people have cancer and don't want to go through chemotherapy? I, I mean, you know, I having, you know, been in the hospital, like, Is that like hippie shit. <laughs> uh, well, I would say there's, there, there, there's grades here. I mean, there's, uh, um, you know, a very important, I think, movement uh, now to, uh, to understand the limits of, of modern yeah. medicine and know when additional treatment is not necessarily going to improve, you know, somebody's final days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and that's very important to let, I think, to let people, uh, you know, live out the, the, the last few days of their life the way they want to, rather than being hooked up to a bunch of machines right. and stuff in the hospital. Um, so in a certain sense, you know, like we could have kept somebody alive for another week, but if it means the difference between dying in a hospital or dying at home, then in that case, you know, denying treatment can maybe be the right choice for a patient. That's sure. very different yeah. than when... Yeah, uh, for for whatever reasons, someone denies treatment uh, that would be curative. Um, sure, and sure. and and gets it especially into uh, into very uh, difficult territory when you're talking about someone denying treatment for a child um, who has oh, a curative yeah, condition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know <sighs> that stuff ends up being like law and order, uh, the plots of Law and Order episodes and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, the, it's so um, complicated. Yeah, it, so it plays. Immunotherapy, uh, I mean, it's early days still, but could be an, an alternative, yeah? Yeah, and, and that's, uh, I think one of the, the kind of the, the synthesis that I'm trying to bring together is that, you know, the immune system is already 
pretty good at finding and preventing a lot of these tumors that that grow and that you never know started growing. Right. So is immunotherapy like a you know harnessing the what what is it? Yeah, yeah. Like so, I'm a kid. So the 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 the, the goal <laughs> is to 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 build on those that that natural process that already happens right, inside right. our body to use our mm-hmm. own immune system as a way to to cure cancers that especially the types that have been Diff, that are difficult to treat by surgery or are difficult to treat with chemotherapeutics right now. And that and, and there's been some very, very promising early successes. Harnessing the power of your own body. So, That's <laughs> genius. Can you literally tell us, like, what is what is the practical s- steps of immunotherapy? Like, what are the, like the, the five steps, like, take something out of the body? How, how do you use it? Yeah. Just real quick. Well, that's so step, people that's step one. Yeah. So the, the nice thing about these immune cells is that, again, in, in you know work that basic scientists did over the past 30 or 40 years, we've learned how to take uh, immune cells uh, from the blood. And so a patient would just give a essentially give a blood draw. Um, mm-hmm. We take those immune cells, uh, you know, and separate it from the blood or the red blood cells. And we, we can actually keep them alive and culture them and even expand them, make many, many more copies of them. In a dish, uh, okay. it, it, you know, we do that in the lab all the time. Um, there, you know, there's more uh, regulated and more um, kind of like standardized ways of doing it for uh, cells that are coming out of and going into a patient. But essentially, we can take them out, and that means that we have them, you know, in front of us, and we can do stuff with them. Uh, and that 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 stuff that we can do, like mo- modify them. Yeah, exactly. We can potentially try to make them, you know, better than they were before. The make a, right, a, right. our Superman version of mm-hmm. of uh, the immune cells, and mm-hmm. you know, we we do those modifications. We can expand them, make many, many, many more, and they go back into the patient where we hope that they they have acquired a a new functionality. And you know, the the you know, we talk about that in much more complex terms, but essentially, sure. we the new function that we want is that mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna find the to, the the cancer that the patient has and kill it. Is it also helpful that, that they're just replicated? Like just that you're putting so much more back in than you took out? That's uh, uh we think that's probably important. Um yeah. the you know cancers can grow quite quickly. Um right. the mm-hmm. other thing is also that a lot of times you know cancers they don't just grow in one site. They have we, we know that this right. metastases they can uh, bud off and and seed other sites and that's one of that's one of the hallmarks of very late phase tumors that again you know if you if there's a cancer in twenty or thirty different sites in the body that's not something you can treat by uh, by surgery and if it's right. so right. widespread the amount of chemotherapy that would be necessary to to treat that would also kill the patient. We think that uh, these immune cells, by the fact that you know, we can put up a lot of them in, they can go search throughout the entire body, searching for where the cancer is, and and attack it. And you know, and like like any good scientist, I'll you know throw a lot of disclaimers on that. That's the goal. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff the sitting between us and that working in a large number of cancers right now. Right. It seems like immunotherapy, and I'm, I, I recognize this is incredibly simplistic, but right now works. And again, I know just the word like cancer, the word immunotherapy is is, is much broader than I'm than I'm proposing. But from what I understand, immunotherapy works very, very well for some people, almost perfectly well. And for a lot of people, it doesn't work. And for some people it can make them worse. Is that correct? 
That's certainly been seen in uh, certain types of cancers, mm. certain types of approaches. Yeah, well, I think I think maybe one uh, uh, one useful uh, distinction is you know in in this immunotherapy, you know, we're talking about uh, um, uh, partly because it's what our lab does, but we're talking about taking cells, at, taking immune cells out of a patient, modifying mm-hmm. them, and put them back, putting them back in. We usually right. call that a cellular immunotherapy because we're dealing with you know cells that we take out. Um, uh-huh. One of uh, one of the, the the more the more common approach right now uh, that's being tried in ever ever more cancers is rather than taking the cells out and modifying them, trying mm-hmm. to use these the immune cells that are already in the body that are that are already in the cancer that are maybe responding to it a little bit but not enough to prevent the cancer from growing to try to hmm. ramp them up um, without taking them out. And that's uh, using... So you just find where they are exactly in the body and then put something in? Yeah, essentially. You're, okay, you're okay. putting in uh, these therapies, which are again are come under the, the heading of immunotherapies, mm-hmm. um, involve antibodies against proteins or you know, uh, systems that, the immune, that immune cells use to mm-hmm. regulate their actions. And so if you, you know, it, the classic analogy is uh, we're, you know, we're removing the break from these immune cells so that they just go on and on and on. And that's not, obviously that's bad if you have an autoimmune disease, but if you ha- if you're dying of cancer, then maybe you'll take a autoimmune disease over, you know, knowing sure. that you're going to die. So when did your, I mean, I, I, when I, when I first read about what you guys were working on, I was like, what? What I mean? When did your like glow in the dark electric field shit come into play? Uh, you, I mean, that's crazy. Well, what are we talking about? What the hell is going on over there, man? cancer. Yes, I would like to know more, please. Yeah. So it all it, it comes down to this 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 uh, um, key technical step that we talked about. You know, there's three steps for actually treating someone with these cellular immunotherapies. We take immune mm-hmm. cells out, we modify them, and we put them back into the patient. Okay. How long does that process take? Five, 10 minutes? <laughs> well, the, the actually modifying the cells can take a, a very short amount of time. Oh, really? The thing that takes a long time is, is just growing the cells up um, because we, we mm-hmm. expand them to get many, many more copies of the cells. That can take a, a one to two weeks or so. Okay. Is that something that's being like uh, worked on specifically? Like, can that process be sped up also? Well, yeah, ab- possibly, absolutely. Yeah, um, and th- this kind of gets down to the key, the key uh, step, which is how you actually modify the cells. Because it mm-hmm. may, if you can modify the immune cell to be, you know, even better, or to um, be able to make more copies of itself more efficiently in the body. Then, then maybe you don't have to expand it as long outside the body, and then now mm. the patient doesn't have to wait two weeks; they only need to wait a day or a couple of days, or you know. Wow, that's that's a game changer. Well, the, the the real game changer would be if we could you know take cells out, modify them, and put them back in you know on the course of an hour or two, um, and that's something is that, that is. I know it's early, but I mean, is that theoretically? Uh, Something you guys are reaching for? I mean, that would be incredible. Um, certain, you know, certainly uh, when you think about, you know, one what, what of the, the big the big barriers to these therapies are their cost and their complexity. Right. Um, and so that's that's something that we think about. Um, you know, it's not necessarily something that, you know, we wor- we're working on right now in the lab. 
But right. part of the guiding, you know, kind of ethos for uh, our work, which is mainly centered on how do we modify T cells in a easier, simpler, better way. If we can do it, you know, and it's uh, uh, the process is simpler, then that means that the actual uh, when we you know move into uh, um, clinical therapies, that it can be a shorter process and hopefully a cheaper one as well. What's a T cell? <laughs> Yeah, so we've been using, uh, we've been saying immune cells uh, throughout, but right, there's right. there's uh, a, a lot of different types. Um, one of the main ones and the most important ones, though, is this called a T cell. The the T cell is classically the cell type that will search for um, viral infections and okay. try to eliminate any cells that have been infected with a virus. Oh, great! They, all right. And so you, you can kind of see. So you know, seems important. Yeah, it's uh, if you don't awesome. let's say if you don't have T cells, then you end up having a, a condition called um, SCID or severe combined immunodeficiency, which, but more commonly known as a Bubble Boy syndrome. Mm, right. So uh, you know, so without without these immune cells, you you essentially you're you're powerless to fight off most infections that have evolved to infect humans. Mm-hmm. Um, Got it. So, but uh, but this has that has an important connection with the the cancer uh, uh, side of things, which is that because T cells are made to recognize our own cells, but our own cells that aren't healthy, um, our own cells that have been changed in some way, right, and the right. change that they evolved to recognize is a cell that was infected by a virus, but. It turns out that they also can recognize cells that have been changed in a very different way, which is cells that have become cancerous. Interesting. So the actual, you know, the the the, the systems, the the processes that they use are very similar between these two. Um, and obviously, there's differences. You know, I, I can imagine a a somebody who works in the field listening to me say that and scoffing and writing down the big list of how there's all the differences. Whatever, they're not here. But <laughs> hopefully they, they realize that you're just trying to help me. They want to come on and talk me. about it, they can come on. <laughs> but, uh, I, but yeah, but these T-cells kind of have, they have this inherent ability to look at our own cells and tell if there's something wrong. It's pretty dope. And that's, and that's, the, and that's the kind of the backbone for what we want to build on top of them. And so, you know, there's in, in the lab and, you know, in, the, in what we study and what many other labs study are ways that, you know, this process doesn't work 100 percent of the time. Uh-huh. Um, and there are there are ways that cancer can get around this process, just like there's Fucker. ways that um, viruses have evolved to get around the immune system. Right. Right. Um, right. Cancers do the same thing on the, on this much more accelerated timescale, which is pretty scary to think about, um, like your own cells evolving inside your body to evade your own immune system yeah what the shit man yeah. i'm on the same page here <laughs> but not, uh, not, not cool man yeah. so so what so what is what is your guys big innovation so explain this to us and and why it why it's such a, such a revolution um well yeah, I'll, I'll let time tell whether it's a a revolution or not we're, we're excited about it the like i said the key the key step for these immunotherapies is how do we modify these cells to make them more functional so that when they weren't killing a cancer before, now they are. So that that step has traditionally been done by actually using a highly modified virus that is able to insert new DNA, insert new functions into the genome of a T cell 
and get in, 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 in that way, give it a new function. I mean, just to be clear, that does sound like the beginning of like a really bad zombie movie. So I'm <laughs> yeah. glad it's gone right so far. Um, so, well, so I mean, hey, certainly it's uh, uh, it's you know we we think long and hard about the the limitations of the ways that we we do this this engineering this mm-hmm. you know genetic engineering. Certain movies are more or less you know accurate, and when they come to like things that actually probably could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the latest, uh, gene editing movie that, uh, with, um, that rampage, uh, that has like a 30 foot crocodile in it. That's, oh, probably, yeah. that's probably not a, a, a likely outcome. <laughs> no. Um, the thing that we worry about more is actually, like I said, uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we're making edits to the genome. We're worried. We we're, we're very concerned and, you know, we do a lot of experiments to make sure that, uh, to 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 reassure ourselves that those modifications that we're making are not going to cause like any, any chance of the cells that we're modifying themselves becoming a cancer. Yeah, that's not great. So what? Yeah, what? So what? What specifically is the modification you guys have done now? What What is the advancement? Yeah. So I said uh, uh, the main way that has been done traditionally has been to infect the mm-hmm. cells with a modified virus. And those those viruses, uh, uh, they insert their DNA randomly in the genome. Okay. So they 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 it's like uh, you know I'll, I'll take a metaphor that the the head of my lab Alex Marson uh, has has taken to using uh, recently, but it's like um, you fa- if you found an error um, in in you know one paragraph of one page of a book, mm-hmm. you can you can print out a new version of that page. And stuff it somewhere in the book, and maybe someone will realize, like, oh, this was the way that that paragraph, you know, a hundred pages before was supposed to be. What we're we're going through and doing is rather than you know stuffing that page randomly in the book, is going into exactly where the error is, where that typo is, and correcting it on the right page. And we think by doing this, that there's one less of a chance. Of of uh, um, putting the thing, putting you know the new instructions in in the wrong place, and right. having the chance of a a potentially that those cells themselves, you know, we knocked out a critical gene mm-hmm. that uh, that suppresses cancerous transformations. You know, that's that's bad news. So by putting it in a place that we know, um, mm-hmm. we can verify that that's safe, and then also you know it's it's it, again it's you can take advantage of the context around that um you know what the site that you're inserting it in so mm-hmm. something that we're doing is we're we're kind of you know we're using a, a patient's own cells but we're also using a lot of those cells own instructions that they already have and like i said earlier you know these cells they have a propensity to attack cancers already mm-hmm. we want to build on top of that we don't necessarily need to complete give them an entirely new way of you know of killing a cell or an entirely new way of recognizing a tumor we just want to uh you know enhance the functions that they already have and we think that could be a little bit simpler and a little bit easier to do than coming up with an entire new way to do it and putting in mm-hmm. a huge set of new instructions will this version or does it uh work much faster so yeah so getting into the the weeds of like how we actually do that we the the technique that we worked out and I guess it it plays into the title of the the podcast is uh using these you know electric fields uh, a technique called electroporation 
which for somebody who, you know, took physics in college long ago and has since forgotten most of it, I just kind of know the effects, what happens afterwards rather than the actual physics. Yeah, but, essentially, <laughs> but essentially, we take, a, we take the, these T cells, we put mm-hmm. them in, inside a, a capacitor, and we discharge the capacitor. For reasons that, you know... Uh, Brian just nodded as if he's like, oh, no, I totally yeah. get it now. That makes uh, perfect sense. I, I see like a regular plug that you just plug into an outlet. And I'm this. glad you said that. The second he said capacitor, <laughs> I stopped listening and just thought about Back to the Future. So right, right. glad we're all on the same page. Right. Yeah. Well, um, like I said, you know, part of, of modern science is that it's it's really, really complex and you can't understand everything. So, yeah, right. um, you know, so even in the lab, you know, like we know how to use these devices and we know uh-huh. that they work really well. The some actually some of the physical bases of why they work are not necessarily known very well. Um, even the even the companies that sell them are kind of a little fuzzy on the exact Whoa. you know chemistry or the exact physics. Great. Wow. It's, like the machi- it's like all the machine learning that's going on. They're like, here's the answer. Don't yeah, know how we got yeah, it. Right, exactly. right. You don't Here know how the algorithm did it, but you do know yeah. it works. Enjoy. And so it's like, well. Um, I'll, 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 I'll take what works now. And then maybe, you know, yeah, in the yeah. future we can figure out exactly why it's, why it's working. But, um, you know, and so, again, that's, so what, what is the benefit of the electric field? Yeah. The, the benefit and, and is also that, why does your stuff glow in the dark? I <laughs> <laughs> will glow in the dark in a second, but, uh, the benefit of doing, using this electrical, uh, uh, um, process is that, you know, just like, uh, you know, if, if you, I guess you remember from physics labs, discharging a capacitor it's very quick. It's just a um, you know an instant reaction, and that's that's all the more it takes to modify our cells. What what these this electrical field does is mm-hmm. that it temporarily makes the cells very permeable. It means that stuff mm. outside the cell, which normally would not get into the cell, can just kind of yeah, float can. on in for just a very for a very small period of time. So, uh, but what that means is that it's really easy to get stuff into your cell. And that stuff that we want to get into the cell is are the 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 things that we need to modify those cells genomes and to give them new anti-cancer functions. So, if, huh. rather than going through this big process of, of of making complex viruses and stuff, what we can do is we we essentially we mix our cells with the the protein and the in a piece of DNA which are both pretty simple to make. And we put and we put them together inside this little capacitor, and mm-hmm. you press a button, it shoots, and it goes zap. That's all the longer it takes, and now you're cell, miles an hour, mm-hmm. and now you have these modified cells. That seems wonderful. Well, what an advancement! <laughs> well, I can tell you, you know, you know, me personally, I like it for two things. One, because uh, I I do these experiments. Yeah. Um, anything that makes the experiment that I do uh, go quicker. Means one, you know, I have more free time, but also means that we can do more experiments more quickly. Yeah, um, and you know, and in, in, in increase the pace of development of these therapies. So we're excited about that. And I think we're all the, the second thing is that if it's easier for us to do in the lab, then that means that it should be easier and cheaper and simpler to do in the clinic as well. Mm-hmm. Right. There's going to be people going. Well, wait. Uh, does it apply to all cancers? So what? What, who does this treatment apply to? What sort of cancers uh, does this, does this make sense for? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I I think in that case, you know, I, I, I live in the, um, in San Francisco, so it's hard to not, you know, start using all the, the, the buzzwords that the tech uh, employees Uh use. But, uh, you know, we we think of this more as a, as a platform. Mm -hmm. 
these these immune cells, these T cells, they can be made to be specific for many different types of cancers. They can we can if we can modify them very quickly, we can modify them in just the right way to attack this you know this type of tumor, say uh, prostate cancer wow. or colon cancer. And so rather than you know using uh, you know trying to find a chemotherapy that works against every single type of cancer. Mm-hmm. If it's really easy and really fast to modify these immune cells um, to make them the right type of immune cell for an individual cancer, and mm-hmm. that can be an individual type of cancer or potentially even in the under kind of the heading of personalized medicine, an individual patient's tumor. If it's right. fast enough and easy enough, we can make the immune cells have just the right modifications so that they attack that patient's or that type of tumor. That's the gr- that's the grail a little bit, right? Which is instead of trying seven different things and saying, well, this worked on this cancer in this person, but it didn't work on this person with this cancer. It's going, this is this person's type of this cancer. And Jeez. we can now move on these things so quick that we can act on them in a much more personalized and effective way. Is is that kind of what we're you're aiming for? Yeah. No, I think that's exactly kind of kind of the goal. We've started by making the process of doing that modification simpler and easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the next steps that, you know, it, for our lab, for many other labs, you know, are figuring out exactly what modifications work with each type of cancer. But we hope that, you know, by making the actual modification very, very simple, um, then we can go ahead and move forward. And there's some cancers that we already know what the types of modifications that we want to make are. In our, mm-hmm. in our, in our paper, we, go through and show how to make T cells specific for melanomas. Huh. And we show that, you know, in, in little mouse models um, that these T cells can attack the melanoma and clear the cancer and, and so on from fairly, you know, very straightforward stuff that, you know, we, that, you know, any cancer paper would have. Um, but the, but the key point is that, you know, we knew what to do with that cancer because of work that had already been done by some of our collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, if we can make that type of work go quicker, then maybe we know what to do for other types of cancers sooner. And then, uh, and then we can, uh, um, you know, put it into therapeutic practice for, the, for those types of cancers. I imagine that you, you are not um, doing this with a bunch of humans yet. I want to make sure that everybody who's listening doesn't think oh, yeah. that, that that's happening. <laughs> um, what, what's the next step uh, with regards to, to trials? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I have a big disclaimer. The, the, the specific types of modifying T cells that we've done are not uh, uh, in clinical trials yet because you know, right. we, we just published uh, the, uh, the way to do it this summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Using modified T cells that have been modified in other ways, like I said, using viruses and stuff, those are in a variety of clinical trials. And actually, the first uh, FDA approval for a gene-modified cellular therapy just came last year for um, for two therapies for a type of for two different types of B cell cancers um, or, or lymphomas. And so these these therapies are now um, you know starting to hit the clinic, mm-hmm. um, and that's the so it's a really exciting time to be working kind of. You know, maybe not not a little bit more on like the gritty back end of things and like the techniques and the me- methods that are used to actually make the therapies. Um, so it, it, it's, it's an exciting time for that. For us specifically, 
you know, the next steps in our lab, you know, we, we, we do basic research. So, you know, we have ideas about how to make this technique even simpler or even mm-hmm. easier. And mm-hmm. so we're working on testing those. Um, we, ha- and, but at our, at our university and with some collaborators, though, now we're, we're starting to, to do the work to put together an initial uh, clinical trial testing this either in uh, a cancer indication or for uh, a slightly different indication, but actually correcting a, um, a specific family's mutations um, that have caused an autoimmune disease in that family. And we know the mutation that, that is causing it. We know that that's the reason why. And we know that we can fix that mutation, the exact mutation itself in their own, uh, in their own cells genomes. And so we're working towards uh, doing a clinical trial for that family. That's, I mean, <laughs> I think of a couple of things. I think about how mad my wife gets when I just want to fix things and she just wants to talk about them <laughs> and be heard. And I'm always trying to fix them. But it's generally things like, why haven't I made the children's lunches in time for them to get out the door to school? <laughs> And you're, you know, trying to fix a family's genome. Um, and uh, it's impressive. I also think about how I've been trying to get Brian to read uh, some important project or project organization books for a couple of years, and he refuses to do so. I appreciate and that you're trying to maybe help Maybe this me. whole episode is an intervention. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, so Thea, we're, we're getting a little bit more towards action items. We know the history of everything. We know the context. We know what you do and, and why it uh, could possibly be so helpful and where you guys are aiming yourselves in the short term and the long term. People are excited uh, about something, you know, thank God, fuck cancer. H- how much fuck does it. a project like yours cost? Where does the funding for th- this specific project come from? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I think it's, you know, it's something that, you know, even having been in, you know, in, in labs and working science for, you know, eight or nine years now, it's something that you know a lot of people in science don't really know exactly where the money comes from. Um, yeah. I can tell you that uh, uh, the the single largest source of basic science research, mm-hmm. uh, especially health related research in in the United States, is the federal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. tax dollars fund the National Institutes of Health, mm-hmm. and the National Institutes of Health divvy that money up in a, a merit, uh, meritocratic process. They, mm-hmm. uh, they take proposals, you know, we write what we, we call them grants. Um, we write a proposal about, you know, the, a project that we think would be useful. We mm-hmm. have to, we have to convince them that this is a viable, a, a, a good use of, of, you know, American taxpayers money, mm-hmm. um, and that it's going to ha- potentially have some benefit. And so we write those proposals. The NIH, they convene groups of scientists together. And crucially, these are not, you know, federal employees. These are just working scientists. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a you know an outside review process. They determine which ones, which grants they think are the most uh, have, have the most scientific uh, justification and are, are, you know, presented in the best way and that the, it looks like the group will actually be able to do the research they set out. And based on that, they recommend a certain portion of those grants for funding. Um, I could say the, the, the funding, it, the, the proportion that get funded is a number that scientists watch, uh, in uh, eager anticipation mm-hmm. right now. It's, it's about 20%. So one in five Whoa. proposals that scientists um, send send to the government to say, you know, this is research that we think is worth doing, and these right. are pr- these are big in depth proposals. It's not a fun couple and of there weeks. There must be thousands of them. Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. So so um, where is twenty percent on the historical barometer of things that are getting funded? Is that uh, mm-hmm. average? Is that pretty low? Is that pretty high? Um, you know, yeah. we've we've so I, the, these complete fucking monsters uh, <laughs> yeah. running things. Well, so it, it 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 depends on what you look when when you compare it to uh, sure. the, the the this modern system of funding science um, through federal grants um, only really came about um, after World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's probably in, in its modern iteration, it's probably only been around this kind of system has been around for 50 or 60 years before that science was primarily funded by individual benefactors. Right. Um, you know, the, the classic like Victorian era mad scientist who has some <laughs> nobleman who thinks he's cool and sends him money to do crazy experiments. Um, that's how science went forward God, I for, just want to be that guy time. so bad. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Okay, uh, in in a slightly broader context, real quick, one of our overarching goals is to help shine a light on where we need to go as a as a as a people here, uh, which is obviously um, coming to press here in a couple months before the midterm elections. So you, you you said one of the biggest chunks of funding is coming from tax dollars. So obviously this isn't your day job, but what in your view then are sort of what are three big actionable questions the rest of us should be asking either of our representatives? Or the people who are running for office? Yeah, yeah. Probably the single biggest one is what is, you know, do you know, the people who represent you value the impact of basic science research a- as a way to help improve all of our lives? You know, it's uh, there's many classic examples, but, you know, the lasers were developed with, you know, federal research funding for, you know, basic science applications long before we had any idea of all the the amazing uses they would have. And, you know, despite how much we complain about our phones and stuff or whatever, but modern technology is a lot of it based on, you know, stuff that was developed in basic science labs is generally we think is quite useful for us and makes our lives better. (laughs) And this is actually, especially when it comes to biomedical research, mm-hmm. that's actually probably, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to find areas that the two parties still agree on to an mm-hmm. extent. Basic biomedical research funding is, is probably one of the few that's left. Right. Um, and I think that, that, that makes it all the more precious that, you know, people on both sides of the political spectrum continue to value this and because we don't necessarily want you know funding for the next cancer drug to become a partisan issue yeah and it is impressive uh, i mean uh, trump you know tried to destroy science budgets uh, uh, from from nasa to to biomedical and and congress not only said no fuck that they actually gave it more there yeah. was an increase um which like you said it, it is it is maybe the last thing we can agree on. So sweet Jesus, let's hold on to it. Um, but also, you know, let's put even more people in office who believe in empirical data and, and evidence-driven uh, decision-making and rational thinking. Because, gosh, if this is what we can do now, Im- imagine if we could increase that even more and provide more specific support. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, the um, you know, it's not necessarily something that I think a lot of people think through and take pride in. But, uh, um, you know, not 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 saying America to make America great again, but America is kind of the the leading center of biomedical research in the world. Um, American universities uh, are are some of the best in the in the world. There's lots of good science going on in Europe and in Asia um, and throughout the world as well. But 
a lot of the the key uh, you know advancements, like the key therapies for cancer, for infectious diseases, uh, for autoimmunity, they were developed with American tax dollars. And I think you know the people, the uh, you know I, I certainly you know I get my chunk of my paycheck that goes that gets taken out to fund uh, the, the government. But I think sure. people should take pride in the fact that you know so that this is something that we as a society decided was worth funding. And then, you know, and, you know, it's something that, you know, your parents and our grandparents funded. And now we're the ones that get to take advantage of those therapies that were developed based on the research that was funded by your grandparents. Right. This stuff doesn't come from nowhere. They might have destroyed the planet, (laughs) but they did pay for basic science. (laughs) Pretty important. So, Um, so, so yeah, so I think, I I think, you know, people, that's something that you could take, if you take pride in that and then try to, um, for our, you know, your representatives, you say, you know what, this is something that's important. Like, this is a way that we can invest in the future, um, that we can make our children's lives better than ours by doing basic science research today. Sure. sure. Love it. And, and that, right. If those were the implications of, of their funding uh, now, uh, you know, what could you do mm-hmm. for your children and their children, uh, assuming we're not all underwater in, in 25, 30 years? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, we have taken so much of your time uh theo and we really really appreciate it yeah and who you think who you think we should talk to besides you maybe marson anybody else yeah uh, you know we're again from climate to cancer to clean energy to antibiotics to space mm-hmm. you know we're, we're trying to uh, again have these evergreen conversations about the things that are actually not sci-fi stuff but things that are actually affecting people right mm-hmm. now and in the next 10 20 years uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, again, diving into a specific topic, specific question, and uh, and and then finding someone uh, who's on the ground doing the work like you. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be uh, electrocuting cancer; it can be <laughs> anything else. Depending on the the way that you you want to, to take things, you know, obviously, you know, uh, there's other other people in our lab, like Alex, the the head of our lab, um, you know, have, would have more thoughts about kind of the work that we did. If uh, there there are you know, the 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 people there are you know leaders in the field of actually using these immune cells mm-hmm. um, clinically already. Oh yeah, that'd be a cool angle to to hear. The, right. the, the two the two names that I you know can uh, uh, say off the top of my head: um, a guy at University of Pennsylvania, his name's Carl June, and uh, a guy at Memorial Sloan Kettering in uh, in New York, uh, his name's Michelle Sadelin. A, to- a general topic that you know, we, we didn't really uh, uh, talk a lot about the actual like CRISPR-Cas9 genome editing, yeah, um, and that stuff. That's a much larger topic, though, than you know yeah. making cancer therapies, right? Right. Especially when you start talking about making gene modifications for stuff that's going to go back into the environment, right? Um, and so that that comes in in two forms: both genetically modified crops mm-hmm. and all of the controversy uh, around those. Mm-hmm. And also, but now um, genetically modified um, organisms like um, the, the the main example right now is uh, mosquitoes. Um, and if right. we, we think there's ways that we can actually genetically modify mosquitoes, that they will take over the wild. Like um, you can make a version that doesn't have that won't get infected with malaria. And can we make a it, version that doesn't exist because they're a pain in the ass? <laughs> well, there's people that think they can do that. too. <laughs> yeah. But it is crazy. It's such a, it's an incredible backdoor way instead of treating malaria. It's right. like the old Sun Tzu version of like, what if we just cut it off and kill it from the yeah, yeah. start? It's pretty amazing. We just read an article about uh, genetically modifying humans so that we can live on Mars one day. I mean, mm-hmm. shit is getting go. crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, it seems to be. It's a, it's a little bit of the moment of like, oh, why not this? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it kind of gets into a, a larger topic of like, you know, uh, some people think that, you know, maybe engineering solutions of the environment are the way to combat climate change, that you're never sure. going to, you know, do it on the human side. So we're going to have to, you know, make up for our, our, our mistakes or whatever. And it's a kind of a similar thing from the environmental side, environmental side. And I, I think there's a there's a there's a very healthy uh, conversation going on among scientists about whether that's a, that's actually a good idea or not. Um, and now you actually do you really do get into kind of like the plot lines of of disaster movies or zombie movies and stuff yeah. where you're talking about oh we're going to make the super mosquito that can't get infected with malaria, and it turns out you actually just made a really a mosquito that you can't kill and that gets infected even worse. <laughs> I'm pretty sure so, the, and I think we talked about this on a different episode, but I think the beginning of this version of I am legend was they're like, Hey, Will Smith is this military doctor and he figured out how to stop AIDS. And then two weeks later, they're like, ha ha, turned everybody into zombies. Yeah. <laughs> um, not great. And, uh, yeah. what was the, um, uh, snow piercers, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, mm. earth is getting hot. Uh, as we shot a bunch of stuff in the air, uh, bad yeah, news. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's snowing everywhere. As long yeah. as there's no super mosquito that can't be killed, I'm going to be pretty happy. <laughs> that's it. That, that sounds that's like your threshold. That's just my worst nightmare. All right, all right. Let's get into. Uh, we have a uh, we have a little lightning round of questions that we love to uh, ask everybody. Yeah, great. Except for the first one, that's not a lightning round question, but it hangs up. out in this category anyway. <laughs> I'm too tired. I have so much to do. <laughs> Theo, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? First time I wasn't just like taking a test or, you know, like learning stuff out of a book that a thousand people had learned before me mm-hmm. was the, the first time I worked in a lab. Mm-hmm. Um, it was over the summer after I'd graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you it takes a while to learn a few techniques and stuff, but pretty quickly you you do an experiment and it's something that no one's ever done. It's an experiment no one's ever done before. And you're the first person to know the result of it. That's so wild. Brian, what'd you do the summer after high school? We are not getting into that. <laughs> uh, Theo, who is someone specifically someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? I don't know if he listens to the podcast, uh, but there's a guy in my lab uh, who's a postdoc. His name's Eric Schifrut. And one of the one of the beautiful things about science is that um, you know it, it's this big collaboration among lots and lots of people, mm-hmm. um, and experiments are very complex. So you have lots of people working on experiments, but also the ideas are kind of complex and they go across fields. Um, there's you know this guy in the just happens to be a, a, a guy in the lab that you know his his way of thinking about these experiments really clicks really well with mine. And, you know, just having that sounding board to like, you know, say a hundred dumb ideas before you get to the one good one um, is is super useful in, you know, in the lab and, you know, life in general, I guess. Yeah. As a, as a writer, that person is super helpful who's can just be like, no, that's a terrible idea (laughs) Um, because that's the only way to get to the, to the good stuff. No, we have a lot more bad ones than good ones. I'll tell you that. Hey Theo, how do you uh, how do you consume the news? You know, maybe it's a little bit anachronistic. I you know I, I I try to stay focused on you know on on you know work in during the day and stuff, and and so what I I, I stay about? off. <laughs> <laughs> I try to stay off you know, Twitter or social media and stuff as best as anybody can. Uh, doesn't mean that always happens. Um, so I like actually like the like weekly news magazines where I you know they kind of like here's the you know fifty pages of stuff that. 
uh, we, you know, we've thought is useful from the past week. And if you read all that, then, you know, somebody said that they think that you'll be well informed with that. So I like to, you know, you know, read magazine when I get home at night or something like that. Nice. It's very uh, civilized. Very civilized. Um, all right. If you could Amazon Prime one book to the president of this country, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll bet you people have tried that already. There's a, a I don't know if you'd read it, but the, there's a very there's a classic book that <laughs> don't worry know, about that as being the prerequisite. <laughs> there's a yeah. classic book um, about the kind of the the history and development of you know modern molecular science. It's called the Eighth Day of Creation. Okay, it's written by a guy named Horace Judson. Um, it was published in the late seventies, um, and so you know. Yeah, now now it's what forty years old, and so it's like okay, you can certainly science has moved on, but the the process hasn't, and the the this the the you know the type of people who do science, I don't necessarily, uh, you know the the the, the you know the people who really enjoy science necessarily hasn't changed, or the type of person, and he this was an example of uh, um, this guy Horace Judson was an example of a. You know, a science journalist. He wasn't a scientist himself, who took years to interview all these practicing scientists and you know find out how they worked, what you know what their process was, what they thought was interesting, and you know how they had made these these monumental discoveries, like the structure of DNA, how DNA encodes for what all of our cells do, and the the product of this like ten years of work. And interviewing all of the people, you know, Watson and Crick and the, the the big names of molecular biology, he put it all together in this is admittedly quite large book. <laughs> but that that book was uh, something that I you know I read a couple of years back and like really re- kind of reignited my my passion for basic basic research. And I think if anybody you know you listen to somebody talk about how you know. It was just this idea in their head how DNA was structured, and mm-hmm. then they've you know spent years figuring out how to actually test that, um, and then they showed that it was true, and that and now you know so much of modern medicine is based off of that single discovery, and you know it's just you know two guys and it was you know all essentially all guys and doing the research then unfortunately, right. but you know just sitting there in a room thinking about it. Um, yeah, it's and, so and, wild that that is how science moves forward. And it's like, oh, you know, I, I I'd like to sit in a room and think about things all day, and that oh, and that geez. be a, a paying job, <laughs> and that be incredible. <laughs> but it is true, and I mean, honestly, like the it it doesn't matter what you're working on, but the and I'll find some of the specific research on this and put it in the show notes. But you know, there there's been so much that's come out that said how important quote unquote daydreaming is, uh, and and how much. Uh, of our of our ideation and creativity comes from the subconscious and unconscious brain, not sitting at a fucking computer and a white screen all day. Right, because you're you're inputting things, and then your uh, unconscious and subconscious are tethered together, both so differently and, and so much uh, less rigidly that it lets you put together these disparate ideas you can't even take credit for because uh, it is an entirely different process you might not have otherwise come up with. And, you know, writing science fiction is very much uh, the the same way. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. It's some crazy ass shit to come up with when you're, you know, wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. No, it's, I can't tell you how much of the, you know, the, the of our, you know, paper and, and experiments that I do in general are like something that, well, I can't fall asleep just randomly thinking about. And suddenly this 
idea clicks and you're like, oh, that's the best yeah. idea I've had all month. And, yeah, you know, right. and then rush to write it down and then, you know, wake up the next morning and run into the lab and set it up. I think I've been daydreaming too much and not working enough. So I got to work out the there, balance, there's a balance of those there's things. A balance. Yeah. Awesome. Theo, uh, where can our listeners follow you online? I, I would say there's a, you know, a lot of, uh, um, it, good, um, kind of like, um, kind of like summary emails and stuff for, you know, advancements in science. One of the ones, one of my favorites is um, the the journal Nature has yeah. a like a daily morning briefing email, like a lot of uh, companies have nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, that sends out like a, a really nice, uh, broad stretch of what are all the interesting things happening in the scientific world right now. Mm-hmm. If you're more if more interested in like on the medicine side, um, mm-hmm. there's a, a a new kind of online news service called Stat. Um, oh, so that that's has, great. Yeah, that. if you um, that I, I I you know read through their uh, their morning emails every day um, just to get a, a sense of like what's going on outside of my specific field. Um, I yeah. think that's a great way to stay in touch with. Uh, I, I, I'll definitely pull from Nature and Stats stuff when we're trying to do our newsletters on the weekly basis to find those real yeah. top hits that people should should know about. They they do really excellent work. The conversation is another yeah. one like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they do great stuff. Uh, Theo, man, we've taken so much of your time, but this has been awesome. We really, really appreciate it. We really appreciate all that you're doing. Uh, just taking cracks at this thing. You're you're helping people, man. You're saving lives, and that's uh, pretty incredible. Well, I, like I said, we it's it's you know it's 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 you know comforting to think to think that you know the work that you do is useful. But I can tell you, on a, you know, on a day to day basis, the thing that you know we like about it is that we do get the the you know the unique privilege to sit around and think about, you know, things that we don't know and how to test them doing that in a way that is useful is a, uh, like I said, it's, it's a great privilege that we're able to able to have that opportunity as you know, as scientists and for people, you know, if, if anybody's listening, thinking about careers, you know, I can't, can't recommend, you know, a, a basic science any more than that. It's, you get to come up with ideas about what you want to test, learn something new that, uh, that no one else has ever known before. And that thing may very well be something that, that helps patients in the near future. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's a privilege, but it is absolutely necessary. That is where all these things come from. And, and we are, we are thankful for it, man. Yeah. Thank um, you very much. Awesome. Theo. Well, we will uh, talk to you soon, brother. Uh, please go get back to work. Good luck on all the letters <laughs> after your name. Yeah. Good. Good luck, <laughs> well, man. We'll try. Let us know when you're done. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a while, but thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Thank Thanks. Be good. Bye. Bye. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at Important Not Imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. 
Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jam and music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 